Hello, my name is Shimon Foy, and this is the Charles Bonnet Syndrome podcast. This is episode two, and I'm here with my co-host, Eva Potts, and we have a special guest today. Her name is Antoinette McDonald Ellis. She's a creator and a performing artist, and she also has Charles Bonnet Syndrome. So we're going to give her an opportunity to share her story and talk about her journey with Charles Bonnet. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting right into it. So how's everybody doing today? Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good, thank you. Well, that's that's great. Uh, so, Antoinette, thank you again for joining us. It's very important on this podcast to have people that have Charles Bonet discuss how they experience it and what their journey is like to hear it uh, firsthand from someone that that's experiencing it. So once again, we appreciate you for being here with us. Oh, my pleasure. Glad you invited me. Thank you. So so what we're going to do is uh, I would like you to discuss your journey, because as we all know, Charles Bonet syndrome affects people that are either blind or have a visual impairment. So uh, I understand that you have a visual impairment and, and I would like you to just discuss your journey to losing your vision and how that was like. And uh, then maybe you can transition a little bit into uh, how you came to the point where you started realizing that you may have had a condition and, and it was Charles Monet. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I have glaucoma and I am legally blind. And glaucoma, uh, it, first of all, a lot of people get it confused with cataracts. They're, they're not the same thing. Uh, glaucoma, is a debilitating optic disorder that damages your ocular nerve and eventually due to uh, high eye pressure, which is IOC, uh, creates vision loss because it damages that ocular nerve and that damage is irreversible. And by the way, there is no cure for glaucoma. Many treatments, but no cure. I was diagnosed, uh, I, would, I was about to say how many years, but I was about to tell myself, but approximately 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with glaucoma. And so uh, I've been slowly losing my vision. And now I've reached the point where I am, as I said, uh, legally blind. So that's, that's my, my blindness story. But I realized um, that I had Charles Bonnet syndrome actually not long ago. But in hindsight, I'd been experiencing it for quite some time now. I just didn't know what it was. So, yeah. Okay. So uh, how long ago was it that you started experiencing some of the symptoms uh, of Charles Bonnet? It's been at least uh, five years because the first time, you know, in hindsight, once I realized what it was that I had a really uh, vivid visual hallucination was about five years ago, uh, immediately following one of my eye surgeries. I've had several open eye surgeries, five in fact. And I was walking my dog, a route I took every day. Um, and this very tall man dressed like he was in the Civil War. Uh, he had on his you know, dirty brown coat with a long gun was walking very quickly down the street and he walked right past me. And I did make note that my dog didn't seem to see this dude. Um, and it, it frightened me because like I said, he had a, a long gun strapped across his back. And then immediately following him was another very tall, fast moving figure that, that appeared to me 
to be Jesus, you know, as we see him pictured in, in many churches. And they were both moving very quickly and headed towards uh, a Catholic church. So I had my cell phone with me. So I reached out to quickly take a picture because I thought, well, first of all, I didn't know it was a hallucination. And but my thought was, if, if he's heading towards that church, I knew there was a group of nuns there that would have two meals per day for homeless people and people in need. And I thought, if something goes down, let me try to snap a picture of this guy. Yeah. But when I looked at the shot, there was nothing there, even though I could clearly see both this man and a figure that appeared to be Jesus following him. So that was the first time I'm aware that I actually had one of these Charles Bonnet hallucinations. But recently, as my vision has deteriorated, as it will do with glaucoma, they've become a lot more prevalent and ever present. And I began to actually be a bit concerned. Um, it's, a it's not a little, it's a lot disconcerting. Uh, because one of the things that I've noticed with the hallucinations, they're big, full screen and very clear, where my actual vision is not full screen and it's not clear. But I, I thought I was perhaps having some type of psychotic break or something because they, they seem to be coming all the time. And so I was very fortunate to, to find, you know, this group that I, I am a part of that I met actually you two through every Saturday morning uh, to, to kind of work through it. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. So can I ask when you when you saw those first hallucinations? I know it was five years ago. Uh, did you actually did the hallucinations like actually like stare at you or start walking toward you, or did they just walk right you know right past you toward the church? Uh, actually, the they both walked right past me and right past my dog, which is why I made note that Thaddeus that that's my dog. Thaddeus did not even look up. He kept sniffing the grass as he was. And so, no, walked right past me, didn't address me, uh, and just kept going towards the church, which would have been about two blocks. And I watched them both go all the way up the street when I went to take the picture. And then in the picture, all you see is the street, you know, the sidewalk and, and the houses and things. Well, that's actually good that you thought about taking a picture because that's actually something that, because I'm a caregiver for someone with Charles Benet, and they taught me that they take pictures. And when they look at the picture and see nothing's in the picture, that relaxes their nerves a little bit because they say, okay, it was just Charles and Benet. So, uh, so that is actually a good tip. I'm curious, uh, after you saw that first hallucination, did the hallucinations appear on a regular basis or was a did a time period pass before more, you started experiencing more hallucinations? Actually, um, not long after that, perhaps the, the week after that, I saw another hallucination. I thought uh, someone was walking up the stairs in front of me, and then they just walked through the door. I was a teacher at the time at a university in, in Baton Rouge. And, you know, in my brain, I'm like, well, how did that student that was right in front of me walk through the door? And so I thought, well, that's odd. So I was having some hallucinations, not to the degree that I have them now, but I would have them periodically. But again, I was unaware at the time of Charles Benet syndrome at all. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm seeing ghosts. You know, it was Baton Rouge, so, <laughs> yeah. But yes. yeah, so I did have a, a, a few 
at that time. But like now, for example, I have almost consistently, and in fact, they are here right now, a group of cherubs that form a halo around my head. They circle around my head. Uh, and those are the most persistent ones that I have. Those I think are kind of cool. I feel like that's kind of like my protection band, you know, but I do recognize that, you know, that that is part of my Charles Benet syndrome. It's amazing that you've been able to adapt and uh, you're able to say that they're here right now, but you're still conducting the interview. You're still carrying on with your life. Uh, I, I, I look forward to hearing a little bit more about how you got to that place where you can do that because some people haven't gotten there uh, but if you go back a little bit before you knew about Charles Bonet, how were you dealing with these hallucinations when you didn't know what it was? You thought they were ghosts. Like, how did you handle that? Not well. <laughs> when I uh, uh, first reached out uh, to someone, I, I really, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. When I, I first became uh, concerned about it was about uh maybe two years ago and i actually mentioned it to my doctor um and she totally ignored what i had said which a little you know kind of shut me down a little bit and i was getting a bit concerned because i was like i don't want to end up in a you know small soft room because i'm seeing things but when she didn't address it uh it made me feel a kind of way because i thought well obviously it's something that is concerning to me or i would not have brought it up to her now, had she mentioned Charles Bonet, perhaps I would have mentioned it to my eye doctor, but I had no idea what it was. Um, but recently, and you know, this is an ever-changing vision that I have and is going away. Uh, but what happens with my glaucoma anyway is I'll get what I call my gray spaces. And once I get gray spaces, I know that's more ocular damage and that's new blind spots. So as I recently, probably within the last six months, have earned more gray spaces, they started to really be present all the time. And I, I, was, I was nervous, I was anxious, I wasn't sleeping, I was concerned about my mental health. Um, but I talked to a gentleman, Dr. Gary Cusick, who talked to me for over an hour uh, he's a clinical clinical psychologist, and he assured me that I was not, in fact, psychotic, but I I do, in fact, have Charles Bonnet syndrome. And honestly, when he when he said that, I I immediately just because of who I am in the world, uh, after our conversation, I went and I, I googled it, I researched it, I got you know uh, people on YouTube, and it eased my mind a lot. It didn't make the hallucinations go away, but it calmed me. You know, at least I, w I was able to identify what it was and that I, I wasn't cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And yes, that's a medical term. Wow. Uh, Eva, would you like to say something? Thank you for sharing your story, Antoinette. You're one of the most interesting people I have ever oh, spoken you. with. And we're really happy that you're part of our support group because you your experiences are helping other people learn how to cope your strength in dealing with Charles Bay syndrome. Um, you're very welcome. You know, the, the one thing that I, um, I find so incredible about this physiological condition is just the, the different type of hallucinations that people experience. You know, you're very artistic. You are a writer. You're well-educated. You are, um, you know, a pillar of the community, 
you know, a lot of people, I think of all of several communities and I think people get the wrong, it's, it's perceived incorrectly that Charles Bonet only affects the elderly. And, um, you know, the baby boomer population is up and coming and the largest population in, uh, in the United States. And you are not uh, elderly. I can, I can attest to that because I've seen you on camera. Um, and that it affects people of all ages. And so I'm wondering when you started having these hallucinations, how long before you shared with your husband? Because what we're finding is many people start experiencing Charles Bonnet syndrome and for fear of feeling, okay, we're just gonna say it, everybody thinks that they're crazy and they're not, or that they're having a psychotic break and they're not. How long before you shared with your husband what you were experiencing? Well, uh, I'm fortunate uh, because I actually told him right away. I told him after that first experience with the the tall man and Jesus. Uh, first of all, I, I didn't know what it was, but no, I share with him almost immediately because I, I was I do share things with him, and he's been on this journey with me as I've gone blind. Uh, so even in the car, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good rider anymore because I do have hallucinations, uh, while riding in a car. And so he's very aware of that since he tends to be the one who drives me the most. And, and I see cars pop in and out in front of us <laughs> on the highway. I have one that happens, uh, has happened a, a few times. It's where I see an, a one horse Amish wagon that will appear right in front of the car. Now, mind you, my logical brain understands a one horse wagon cannot go 70 miles an hour down a freeway here in Dallas, even though it looks very real to me. Yeah. And the car starting in and out. So I've been pretty uh, forthcoming with him about this. But what I also have to say is, and he's, he's a, a, a unique individual, he's always believed that I believe what I'm seeing. So he never made me feel like I couldn't share with him what I was seeing, even though he doesn't share the visions with me. And that's incredible because, you know, as you well know from attending the support group, one of the things that holds people back the most is sharing these experiences. And when they do start to share, the fear of the stigma is very real because many loved ones, many caretakers, do believe that the their loved one or the person they're taking care of is having some type of psychotic break, or maybe they're falling into the uh, sphere of dementia, Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, depending upon right. the age of the individual. Um, and what a lot of people don't understand is that this physiological condition, anything that affects your vision, um, glaucoma in your case, MS, diabetes, you name it, anything that can affect vision. And this is the point that we're trying to get across to the you know, medical community and, and to uh, the general public is that anything that can invade your vision can cause Charles Binet syndrome. And so my plea in the first podcast was that if we had doctors or people in the medical community, people attending medical school, to please listen to people when they are trying to explain what they have. Don't make them feel like they, as, as if they cannot express themselves for that fear of, of the stigma of being labeled 
mentally ill. Um, so my question to you is, uh, and I'm sure people listening would be interested to know, have you had a proper, did a doctor properly diagnose you with Charles Binet syndrome? Uh, no, I had to actually find this out on my own accord. I had to. And have you brought it up? I'm sorry, well, go ahead, I, I apologize. I've not seen my eye doctor yet. I've got an appointment with her actually coming up in two weeks and I will discuss it with her. Now, because of my experience with my physician, I'll probably not discuss it again with my physician. When I told my physician, well, I was, I was, I was getting concerned because, uh, you know, it, it wasn't to the point where it is now, but it was enough that I was worried about my mental health, to tell you the truth. And, I, you know, we were having my physical and all that. And she said, was there anything else that you'd like to talk about? And I said, yes, I've been seeing things. I didn't say the word hallucination. I'm just kind of getting comfortable with that. And I recognize because it is the proper medical terminology that that is in fact what it is. But she wrote something down on her pad. But other than that, she totally acted like I hadn't said anything. And that really shut me down. And it made me feel like perhaps I cannot share this. Because I thought if I push too much, I'll end up in a very small, very soft room. And not because there's lots of pillows around, but because I've been admitted to some type of, of, of ward uh, due to mental health issues. Wow, that, that's, that's amazing because you should always feel comfortable talking to your doctor. And it sounds like your doctor didn't necessarily do anything like, you know, reprimand you for lack of better words is probably a better word I could use or anything like that or be harsh with you or talk negatively to you, but they just wrote something down and didn't really show any kind of reaction or, or, or anything. Is that correct? Did I understand that right? What you, what you were saying? No, you, you understood exactly. So, and, and that really kind of shut me down a little bit. Uh, fortunately, like I said, my, my, my partner is one that I'm still able to, was still able to share at the time. Uh, but I, I, I did find some fault with that. Now, I should also say that she is no longer my physician, because I feel like if you're not listening to what your patient is saying, how can you make an appropriate and, and, and correct diagnosis for what's actually going on in the health of your patient? Yeah, that's so good that uh, you realized it was an issue, you had a concern, and you didn't like the way that your doctor responded to this situation, and you, you changed doctors. Uh, I would have loved to know if your doctor even had heard about Charles Monet, but at that time, I don't think you even knew it was Charles Monet, correct? No, I did not know. And like I said, had I realized what it was, perhaps I would have talked to my ophthalmologist, my glaucoma doctor, as opposed to my physician. But I, I would speculate that she is not at all aware of Charles Bonet because she is in fact aware that I have glaucoma and that I am legally blind. And I think if she knew about Charles Bonet, she would have said something about it as opposed to just, you know, writing something down and acting like I didn't say anything. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. so yeah, I think it's important that we're doing this because more people other than those of us who are the caregivers and those of us who are living with this need to be aware of it. Yeah. And now doctors and um, other people can can listen to this podcast and there's, there's YouTube channels and and there's social media out there and it can spread awareness. That's one of the main reasons we wanted to uh, to do this, this podcast. I was curious, though, can you talk about 
the journey to finding it was Charles Bonet? Because obviously you called Gary, but before you called Gary, what happened in your life and how did you get to the point where you actually called Gary and he said, yeah, this sounds like Charles Bonet? Oh, okay. Yeah, I can talk about that. I, I, I'm in uh, the DFW Metroplex, just north of Dallas. And I'm with uh, a, a Texas uh, group that is to help me try to get back to work as a blind person, Texas Vocational uh, Rehabilitation, it's called. And there's a class that meets three days a week, uh, and it's called BVI, Becoming Virtually Independent. And everyone in the class has become blind, and not everyone has glaucoma, but for various different reasons. We had a guest speaker come who just graduated from the Chris Cole Center, which is a center in Austin, Texas. And it's basically college for the blind where you go and you learn all different types of life skills, both for in your home, uh, work skills so that you can get back out into the workforce. And she was very enlightening. She came to the class one morning and she was a guest speaker. And she spoke about, she had started to have hallucinations. And I heard an audible gasp from everyone, not everyone, but from several of us in the class. And then she spoke about how it was Charles Binet syndrome. So I wrote that down immediately because I was like, okay, wait a minute. Someone else is, is having this experience. So I did a little very lightweight research right then. And then uh, I, I sent an email to one of the gentlemen who runs the class and I asked him, can we please have at least one class session where we're discussing this because I, I think that I'm, I'm having this issue. And so he, he said, look, I don't know much about it, but he did, he got a, a couple of uh, videos from YouTube that were very informative, but someone came into the class that day who is a part of this group with, with uh, Dr. Cusick and uh, gave his name and said, if, you know, if you'd like to reach out to him, he will gladly talk to you. So I immediately wrote his name down. I reached out to Dr. Cusick and then I called him later that week. And that's how I got in touch with uh, Dr. Cusick and the, the CBS uh, Zoom meeting that we have every Saturday morning. And I've got to say it was a real godsend because even hearing the stories of others, again, I, I don't feel alone in this, you know, because even though I talked to my, my caregiver about it, he's not experiencing this with me. Now, he doesn't make me feel bad about it, but he, he doesn't see what I see, right? So it's, it's good to hear the stories and, and the, the things that other people are seeing. Some are similar to what I see, some are not. But something interesting happened, if I could kind of talk a little bit about this in, in, in group, I think a week or so, one of the members was talking about something that she had experienced in the evening. And one of the things that had started to happen, especially that was making me really anxious, was this large, dark figure. It appears to be a man, but I can't see facial features would come to me, not come to me, but come into my apartment at night. He would stand by the front door and then in a blink of an eye, he'd be right in my bedroom door. But she talked about she woke up one night and there was a dinner party. And in my mind, I thought, boy, I would much rather have a party in my apartment than this creepy shadow dude. Well, a few nights later, in fact, this was just the other night, I had a dance party in my living room. And it got me to thinking, wow, I can't stop 
the Charles Binet, but is it possible that since it is a creation of my brain that I can control it and make it where it's not the scary figures, but at least figures that I don't so much mind. And mind you, I just shut the party down because I needed to get some rest. But I just thought that was interesting and kind of a, a little side note. That is very interesting. Uh, one thing I'm curious, you said you had to shut the party down. Uh, how did you shut the party down? What tips, what what uh, techniques did you use? Uh, well, I, I, I just, I spoke to them and I said, you all need, need to go. I said, well, what I said was, you don't have to go home, but you have to get the heck up out of here. And so then interestingly, what happened then was, I thought very interesting. Do you remember the television show back in the day called Good Times? Yes. Well, there was this painting because yes. one of the actors, JJ, uh, played a character, I guess his name isn't JJ, but a character, JJ, uh, was a painter in the family. And there was this picture that they would show at the top of every show, and it was a, a dance party. Well, when I told them they had to go, all of a sudden they turned into this painting, and it was like someone that I could not see took a Frisbee and just took that painting and Frisbeed it out my door. And so I thought, wow, that's way better than The Dark Man. That's so interesting, Annette. And I apologize, my uh, internet uh, failed me. We're having a little bit of weather here, um, and Spectrum doesn't know how to keep the internet going. The 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 dark figure that you're seeing, I hear that a lot, and you know, I I I didn't want to miss this opportunity um, bef before we keep going. When you were talking about how supportive your husband is um, and lives this experience with you, although he is not experience, experiencing it, he is living it with you. And I think that's just an incredible description. And what the message about caretakers and being patient with people who have Charles Binet, you're very fortunate to have such a great support system. Many people out there don't. And I don't want anyone with Charles Binet to give up and they may be living in a situation where they feel isolated because their loved one is not experiencing it and calls them crazy or tells them that they're losing their mind. I can speak to this because the unfortunate circumstance surrounding my mother living with this, um, she actually had people in her life that would say that to her. And it was unfortunate because that, that was not the case. And we just did not know what we were dealing with. And um, if you are a caretaker of someone with Charles Binet, please reach out to us because saying things to someone like that, giving them that type of uh, misinformation is not only damaging, but it puts them into further isolation. It increases their hallucinations. And when you don't have a good support system or a solid one or a loving one, um, Charles Binet syndrome can definitely get worse. So if you're a caretaker out there, reach out. If you think you're dealing with this or your loved one is dealing with this, call us 704-681-3473. If we don't answer the phone, we will call you right back, leave a message. And Dr. Cusick is also very readily available and he is happy to answer the phone as well. And I am getting his phone number right now. It is 502-439-0398. Dr. Gary Cusick, he has a website, charlesbenet.com. 
and he is so happy to speak with you. There's no charge to speak with him and he can help guide you, put you in the right direction of how you can help your, help your loved one. If you have Charles Benet and you don't have a support system, you may also call and we'll help point you in the right direction because we want everyone to be able to handle this as gracefully as Antoinette is, is handling it. Because when you don't have a support system, that grace and dignity and ability to, ability to have inclusion is difficult to attain. So we're here for you. And I just wanted to get that out before I forgot, because you made a very good point about Ken being so understanding and caring. And there are people who are great caretakers. And what we have to remember is that not all people have the gift of being a caretaker. Yeah, It is a tough job. And if you're not inclined to be a caregiver, then find a way to help your loved one, to give them that support that they need. Talk to us and we'll try and guide you in the right direction. Advocacy is definitely something that we do. Antoinette, uh, I wanted to know, since, you're, since your husband is such a good caregiver, he's been there with you the whole step of the way. Uh, he makes you feel loved and wanted. Uh, what are some things that he does that have helped you? Maybe you could share that, and maybe there's some other caregivers that could take that into consideration. Like, how has he been able to support you on this journey? What are some good qualities or things he's done in regard to uh, supporting you with Charles Monet and your and your, um, you know, I'm going to say your blindness and stuff. Well, first and foremost, he's an excellent listener. He always, you know, if especially because before I knew what it was, I would really kind of get worked up, but he would always kind of calm me. He would listen and he always believed what I was saying. And that's the thing. He never said, oh, that's just in your mind. He might say, well, I don't see that, but what do you see? And I think that is one of the best things he'll say, uh, you know, particularly in the car, because that's when I, I think I get most agitated because with my vision, I, I call it like a slow focus. If I'm stopped and I'm looking at, at something, I can then focus on it. But in, in the car, especially on the freeway, I really have a lot of trouble focusing on things because you're going so quickly. So when I have that reaction in the car, I've just, I've learned, first of all, he's a, he's a very good driver, so that's good. I just trust if he's not reacting to that car or that horse and buggy that I saw just dart right in front of us, it's probably not actually there. Uh, but the one thing he's always done is he, he never made me, he never made me feel like I was losing my mind. He always believed, I believed what I was seeing. And he never spoke to me in a way that, that kind of poo-pooed my experience, unlike my doctor who just totally ignored it. So he always is attentive to it. We had an event in a store one time. I was trying to get hair products. And I know you're a fella, Shimon, but in the hair product aisle, there's like every different hair product you can think of and everything, you have to get the exact right one for your exact hair so it's not just the brand. And uh, what happens to me in stores is groups of children, for whatever reason, will surround my cart and they'll get in my cart not in the seat, but like in the cart with the groceries and stuff. And this was the first time I had experienced this. In fact, I, I had a, a panic attack uh, and I told him, I said, get me out of this aisle. So he didn't, you know, question me right there. He just, he said, okay, just hold on to the cart. And he moved it to the end of that aisle. And then he went back and he got what I needed. And he said to me, are you all right? I said, no, I'm really not. I need to get out of this store. 
So we made post haste. We, you know, went to the checkout and I just pretty much stood there with my eyes closed because these children were surrounding me. And it's like they were almost like the Goonies. They kept just repopulating. So there was like more and more and more. But his, his, his greatest quality, he's a great listener. Uh, he's able to calm me without making me feel badly about what I'm seeing. So, yeah, because even in that instant, he really didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Neither did I. But as opposed to saying, babe, there's there's no children around the cart. He just said, okay, I'm going to take you to the end. You just stand right here with the cart. I will get what you need. So he's he's in, in that way, he's kind of a Superman because he, he's very patient with me, which is a good thing to be patient. This is tough. Uh, when you have hallucinations like this for any reason, not just Charles Benet, but they can be very frightening and very disconcerting, you know? And again, now the knowledge of Charles Benet helps me a lot. It's not that the hallucinations are any less. In fact, there are significantly more as my vision deteriorates, but at least now I have some tools. And that's something else uh, uh, I kind of want to echo what uh, Eva said. If you are experiencing this, please do reach out because even being a part of that group has given me tools, things that I hadn't thought of, tools that help me deal with it, you know, tools that help me get rid of the scary ones, tools that help my cherubs, you know, they're not going away, but I can kind of think of them as like my protective cap, you know? So even not feeling alone in this, because I got to tell you, going blind is pretty much an alone feeling because yes, even though he's been there with me, his world is still as bright as it ever was. So, yeah. You know, I want to, I want to address something, if you don't mind, Annette, you just brought up something so, so very important that so many people tend to forget is that loss of vision is is like anything else in your life when you lose something of, of value and importance there is a grief component and losing vision losing your sight it's like losing anything else of value there is a there is a period of grieving and it's okay to recognize that it's okay to you you must grieve it because and, and you don't, it doesn't have to bring you down and put you in the mud, but recognizing that you are grieving, it is okay. Sometimes if we just shove something under the rug and we don't recognize it, we don't identify with it or don't, don't identify it or don't give it value, then we devalue ourselves. So you have to give yourself that time to grieve. And it's okay to seek out a grief counselor there are people that this happens to and, and they have different personalities. Maybe they're a little more accepting and they're like, okay, well, this is the way the cookie crumbles. And, you know, there are just those different personality types that handle grief differently. Um, and that's okay too. You don't, like I said, you don't have to wallow, but if you feel like you have to grieve and you have to get down and dirty with your grief, it's okay. Don't be ashamed of that because it's like losing a loved one, losing your vision is, pretty significant, very significant. I mean, it's, I can't even imagine. And I have to say, going through the experience with our mother, I try to understand what she was experiencing, but you just, you can't. And, and you try to help them adjust to what they're experiencing and you try to help them and, and not make them so afraid. I can remember 
sleeping with her so she wasn't afraid of what would be there at night, even though she didn't know when it was day or night. Going in the bathroom and seeing 24 people standing there while she's trying to do her uh, business. Um, all this is so frightening. And, 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 you know, she's swinging in the air and I'm praying I don't catch the fist. Uh, and it's, um, it's, a very, it's a very frightening thing, not for all people. But if your loved one or you are grieving because of loss of vision, give them that space to grieve and give them that space they need to recognize this loss. Because for some people, it happens very late in life and not all of us can imagine. We have vision, we have vision. And then in our 80s, we have no vision. Wow. You think you're always going to be able to cope with that. That's not the way it, it is. It's, it's always a shock to the system. Yes. Yes, it I is. I would imagine. Wow. Yeah. And, you, and you've, you've really done well, Antoinette. And we always forget that grief component. We forget that grief component with any medical condition. As a cancer survivor, I, uh, I can tell you there, there's anytime you experiencing, experience something that affects your life, that changes, it's life changing. It's okay to recognize it. And it's okay to not be okay with it for a little bit. And maybe you can wrap your head around it and come out of it. Maybe you can't, but that's why the support group is there too. Let us, let us help you wrap your head around what it is you're going through. And we may not be the end all and we're there to support each other and care for each other, but there are cognitive behavioral therapists. There are grief therapists, there are hypnotherapists. And again, I implore the people in the medical community, please start paying attention to this. Wow. That's, that's so powerful what you just said, because uh, grief is real. And um, that's definitely something that's so important and it can, it, it affects all aspects of your life. So, so thank you for, for saying that. I, I'm, I'm curious, Antoinette, once you found out that you had Charles of Bonet, how different has your life been? I, I know you do find comfort going to the weekly meetings. You're, you're glad that you don't have any mental condition, but like, can you explain the difference? Cause some people find out and it, it's, it's a, it's a great deal. Uh, they feel a lot better. They can manage And Some people are still a difficult thing, but I'm just curious, like, what's the difference? Well, I think the biggest difference was a sense of relief because at least I could identify, okay, this is what's going on. Uh, the group, is helpful because I don't feel alone in this. And, you know, like I said, I do have a great caregiver, but he's still not experiencing it. He experiences it in his way and his way is helping me deal with it. But the biggest thing for me after the diagnosis was just a matter of relief, a matter of saying, okay, if this is what this is, then I, I need to deal with it kind of the same way I do with my vision loss. I can't ever bring my vision back. And so I'm having, you know, as, as Eva said, I'm having some grief about the acceptance part of that, but it's still going away whether I accept it or not. Well, the CVS is, is here and it's going to be here. And once I accepted that, okay, this is a condition, this is a syndrome, this is something that people who experience vision loss deal with. And it's interesting because I've done some research and each place has a different number for how many people experience this. I suspect it's a higher number than a lower number just simply because a lot of doctors don't know about it. It is very difficult if you don't have a partner like I have to talk about this with people. 
You know, it's a, it's a very lonely, lonely place. And so, you know, they say misery loves company, but for me, it's not a misery place. It's a place where I gain some of my superpowers and that's how I like to look at it. You know, it, it gives me certain superpowers because just like I changed that dark man into the party, just because I thought to myself, well, I'd much rather have a party in my house at night than a dark man in my house at night. And so my brain took that suggestion and said, okay, well, here you go. We're still gonna show you stuff, but if you'd rather a dance party, well, here it is. So just knowledge is power in this way. I'm sorry, go ahead, Eva. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Antoinette. Uh, there's a little delay on my end. It's like talking to Europe. I apologize. Um, <laughs> to calling Europe, actually. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, because you something struck a chord in me when we were talking about grief, is that we also forget that people who love the person with Charles Bonet are grieving as well. The person that they love has been changed forever they've lost their vision. Something about them has changed. It will be life altering for everyone who loves this person and for the person themselves. If you're a caretaker or a loved one and of a person with Charles Benet, or, you know, a lot of people are gonna listen to this. Whatever your loved one is going through that has changed them, that has altered life as you know it, it's okay for you to grieve too. It's okay for you to go get some help. There is a real thing called caretaker syndrome look it up. It is life altering as well. Taking care of someone who is having a difficult time with Charles Benet will deplete your energy, um, really wreak havoc on your sleep cycle. It's life altering as well. And it depends on how that person is coping with their Charles Benet. A lot of people like Antoinette learn how to handle it, cope with it, incorporate it. We use I'm not saying it's easy by any stretch of the imagination, but some people just can't seem to grasp coping mechanisms or let go of the fear of the hallucinations. And that was my mom. She, she did learn with cognitive behavioral therapy how to cope with some of the hallucinations and cognitive behavioral therapy actually helped her with diminishing some of the hallucinations. Some of them went away, never to, to revisit her, but it's because she was coping with other issues in her life that were making her hallucinations worse. And so for the therapists out there, and I have to give a shout out to my mother's um, cognitive behavioral therapist, Scott, he really helped her to get to the bottom of some of the issues she was dealing with that caused her anxiety and guilt her entire life. When she was able to let go of some of that guilt and accountability that was not hers to carry, it really helped. So this is a very significant physiological condition and it needs to be treated, it needs to be recognized and addressed. And so therapists out there as well, listen to people make an effort to learn about Charles Benet syndrome and how you think you might be able to help cognitively because they need you. We're calling on all cognitive behavioral therapists out there because a lot of people in our support group can't find people who want to help them with this. So please educate yourself and help these people because they need you. 
And to that, I'm curious, uh, there are there are many tips and techniques that people use to deal with Charles Monet syndrome. Some work better than others. Some work for some and don't work for others. But uh, can you share what are some of the tips and techniques and things that you do to help cope with your Charles Bonnet syndrome? Sure. Uh, like I said, the, the first and, and biggest thing for me was just the knowledge of it, understanding that, okay, this is a hallucination, uh, understanding that it's my the visual part of my brain trying to fill in what's missing. Uh, but also just because of who I am in the world, I, I began writing about it. Um, I, I'm a writer, creator, as you said, performance artist, and I was already writing a piece. I'm going to give myself a little plug here called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Blindness, My Glaucoma Story. But now there's a whole new scene called Do You See What I See? My Charles Benet Story, because I, again, I had no idea about this. I didn't know I was going to need this portion. But even if you just journal down what you see, you know, because I, I started journaling, uh, what I see, how I can deal with it, recognizing that, yes, this is something that was created by my brain. And so therefore I have the power. No, I can't make them not come, but I do have power. Does it make it any easier when a new one appears? Uh, not necessarily, but it helps me to cope. I have something one of the ladies in the group, in fact, introduced me to was my finger gun, right? So if, if there's one that's really scary, like the dark man, I can blow them up with my finger gun. Mine's like a Star Trek ray gun, right? So little things like that, again, recognizing that my ray gun is as real in my brain as this hallucination is. So I think just the knowledge of recognizing that as frightening as some of them may be, and I haven't really discussed all of them, and I, I, I won't, we don't have time. But as frightening as some of them may be, as long as I step back and my logical brain goes, okay, you know there's not an Amish cart going 70 miles an hour down the freeway. My logical brain gets that, even though it's very clearly in front of me. So I have a lot of conversations between my logical brain and my visual brain. And you know, even the knowledge of knowing, okay, first of all, it, it can't hurt me no matter how frightening it seems to be. Even the dark man couldn't hurt me, it did frighten me but I knew he couldn't really hurt me. Not really. You know, now at first, before I recognized what it was, I would try to move out of the way and I would find I would trip on things. And so that can get kind of dangerous. But again, it's the knowledge of recognizing, okay, this is a hallucination. It cannot hurt me. So just the knowledge of it, recognizing you are really the author of it. Recognizing that the children are not in the store, you know, harassing me. So therefore a panic attack in the store is probably not my best course of action. So it's just a matter of, of keeping my brain engaged with, with the experience of it and having that constant conversation in my mind. Okay, can, can you see it full screen? If the answer is yes, it's a hallucination. You know, so the identifying of the hallucinations has been helpful to me because my world is not full screen. My world is not full color. It's kind of a, a, a grayscale, my world, okay? Um, I can see some colors, but they're not true colors. So I've, I've recognized that when I can see the hallucination, so again, it's identifying, first, first for me, identifying what it is, and then recognizing, okay, 
this is what's going on. So to me, that's been one of the, the biggest coping mechanisms and that's helped to keep me calm because the, the biggest thing I was experiencing was the anxiety, the lack of sleep, which then causes more hallucinations. So that's that's my biggest coping technique is recognizing. It's like a slippery slope. Sorry, I just wanted to mention that. I hear that a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're anxious, so you don't sleep well, you don't rest well. When you do rest, you start to experience a hallucination. So then you don't rest and it just, it just, it's like a slippery slope. It just gets worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, no, that's, that's fine. That's, I'm good. Yeah. No, we hear that. That's a common theme in our support groups is the lack of sleep. And for those that have adjusted and learned how to get a full night's rest, have found that their hallucinations have decreased. Uh, either by wearing a heavy mask. Some are finding out that turning off the lights is helpful, which one of the coping mechanisms for Charles Binet syndrome is to keep your lights on all the time. That's something that we had to do with our mother. Turning off the lights or when it started to get evening time, and of course people are going to say, oh, that's sundowners. No, it's because when you have low vision or you're blind and you can sense the sun going down. That light changes. It, it's altered in the field of vision, even if it's peripheral that you have, it is noticeable and the brain picks it up. So it's as if the lights are going out. And some people prefer darkness and sleep better. Some people prefer a heavy mask. But the one thing that I've noticed, um, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional, um, is that we have to make that disclaimer all the time because I'm not trying to diagnose this, but one of, or even say that it's a positive symptom, but it seems to be a common theme in our support group is that without the sleep, the hallucinations are more vivid. Um, they're, they're, yes. There are more of them and yeah. And, it, and, 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 you know, and you can tell from one week to another, I think you would agree, Antoinette, if somebody in our support group has said, well, I got a couple of great nights of sleep, so the hallucinations are not as um, invasive as, as they were before, but then somebody has to go to the hospital or they've come back out of the hospital. And that is a very, um, that can be a detrimental time for somebody with Charles Binet syndrome to go to the hospital and be in an environment that is completely strange and it, it really does tend to exacerbate the, um, the hallucinations and make them more vivid, uh, more nightmarish, um, more numerous. And, it, and, and that did happen to our mother as well. And it was very scary. And a lot of the people in the support group say every time that they've had to go to an emergency situation, it has not gone well for them. And just real quick, the other thing I wanted to bring up before I forget, <laughs> There's so much information to share with people. It's overwhelming. Um, if your loved one has a tendency to have UTIs, you cannot um, be guaranteed that their hallucinations are just about Charles Binet syndrome. Keep an eye on the UTI situation. UTIs do not mean that you do not have good hygiene. UTIs can be brought on simply by, you know, medications, the time people spend in bed, if they're more bedridden, inactivity, 
Um, there, there are numerous reasons for UTIs, but they will cause you to hallucinate and increase. They will cause a fever, which um, we have noticed and it's been reported that increase in fever will increase your Charles Binet syndrome. And so pay attention to your loved one. It could be a UTI. Get them help because they can be deadly. For those that don't know, UTIs are very dangerous and men and women can get them. And it's important to, uh, just in case some listeners don't know, a UTI is a urinary tract infection. I'm sorry, Shimon. Correct. Urinary tract infection. Yes. Uh, it's good to be evaluated by some kind of a doctor, whether it's a, a, a doctor that specializes in older patients or some, a mental health professional, whoever it is, because they can rule out any medicines that may be causing hallucinations and they can give you some kind of a test. It's usually like a memory test to see if you may be showing signs of dementia or any other kind of uh, situational issue, because you can actually hallucinate for a lot of reasons. Uh, there's a lot of conditions, some are temporary, some are permanent, some are diseases, uh, some are medicines, lack of sleep, stress, uh, PTSD. So that that's very important uh, to, to, do, to do that too. But like we mentioned in the last episode, if you do have a visual impairment or, or you're blind uh, you and you're experiencing hallucinations, you have to at least consider Charles Bonnet because uh, the, it definitely affects the, uh, that population. Please make sure you're seeing a qualified physician who uh, is qualified to run these assessments and that they actually do them. My mother was given, um, was slapped with a dementia diagnosis from her primary care physician who A, had no business um, diagnosing my mother. And she also did not run a dementia test. She simply felt because my mother was sitting there hallucinating in her office that she had dementia. It went on her record and it was very disturbing to my mother. It hurt her with her confidence. I had to take her to another doctor who knew what he was talking about and have the diagnosis removed, which is very difficult to do once it's on your chart. So be very careful with your loved one. Don't automatically assume that this is dementia or that this is schizophrenia or severe bipolar disorder. Take the time to take them to a physician. If the physician is not going right. to listen, find another one. Find one until somebody is listening to you because your loved one needs you to do that for them. And if you are capable to advocate for yourself, which is something that we all find we have to do when we have something like this, keep fighting until you find someone who's going to listen to you. Don't just settle for somebody saying, oh, you, you know, I don't know what you've got. You're just going to have to deal with it. Don't settle for that. You have every right to be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect for your physiological condition. Thank you for the reminder. And uh, yeah, this has uh, been very helpful for me, and I'm sure this will help many others. And thank you, Antoinette, for sharing your story. I do want to say we're coming to an end, so if there's any last remarks or anything you would like to share, feel free to share it, uh, Antoinette. And I do want to say that after those remarks, we're going to give you the opportunity to share your contact information, whether that's social media or email, if you choose, uh, if you want people to be able to contact you for whatever reasons uh, uh, that may be. But feel free to, to say any final remarks. Well, first, th th thank you for starting this uh, podcast, because 
it, the word needs to get out. It's it's not something that's brand new. You know, Charles Binet was around, what, 200 years ago. And because there's no cure for it, I think that's why even my doctor was unaware. There's no pill she could give me for it. Um, but just be have grace even with yourself. And I think that's the biggest thing that we can all do because we don't, we're not all going blind, but we all, if we're fortunate, are aging. And I've learned that, you know, outside of my blindness, my body's doing things it didn't used to do, like the noises it takes to get up out of a chair. So just, you know, thank you. Uh, find a group around you, even if it's not the group that, you know, I'm a part of and that Eva's a part of and you too, Shimon. You know, find a group of people who can be your support group, who will listen to you, who will support you. And uh, just, you know, keep loving yourself and, and know you're okay. You're okay. Wow. Thank yeah, you, Internet. That, that was so great. That was so great. Would you like to, I mean, would you like to say anything, Eva, before we close it out? No, I just want to thank Antoinette for sharing her experiences because it's so important for this to not only be recognized, but it's a human condition and we're all just human and we're just here to help each other. So don't be afraid to reach out. We would love to have you in our support group. If you just want to learn about CVS, you can come to the caretaker session. Once again, our support groups are at 12 to 1 for people with CVS, Eastern Standard Time. And from one to two, we have a caretaker session, um, Eastern Standard Time. So reach out to us and and you're not alone. As Antoinette said, we, we are here to help. And no, we're not miracle workers. We can't cure it. All we can do is give you support, make suggestions about how you can help get help wherever you live. We're all over the United States. We have um, someone who visits us from Canada on the support group call. So this is a, this is not just a state by state thing. This is a global condition. And we may just be this little small nonprofit that's getting ready to be launched, but we hope to be, we hope the impact is big, although we're a little bit small. And the group that Eva is referring to is uh, the group that was started by Dr. Gary Cusack, and it actually meets on Saturdays uh, is the actual day where, where it's at 12 p.m. for yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I gave the times, but not the dates. That's not very helpful. And it's 12 p.m. Eastern time for people with Charles Bonet, but he allows other caregivers to join that group too to just hear what is happening, and any latest news, and, and just figure out how they can learn from others so they can support their caregivers. But the group that's at 1 p.m. is specifically for the caregivers, uh, and that's Saturday, too. It, it immediately follows that. So we'll put some information in, in the show notes so you can uh, attend those if you want to. And also, Shimon, if you want, you can put my Facebook on the show notes as well. It's Antoinette.Ellis at Facebook. Uh, and because I am visually impaired, don't be mad if I don't get right back to you. I'll get to you. Okay, I'll certainly uh, do that. And uh, we appreciate your time and for sharing your story. And it's I'm sure it's going to help someone. And uh, it's this has been great. 